salutations, everybody. Welcome to Best Damn Movie Late Show on the planet Earth. The John Campion Show brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but trying to give you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. And we're so glad you decided to join us today as we're recording. Uh, this is the second time. We're just straight up recording the podcast without it being a video format. I'm, of course, joined by Ray Ora. Ray, how you doing? Hey. hey I'll be Jonathan Voiko is back there. Hello, everybody. And uh, joining us in studio, first time this week, joining us in studio is Chris Carr. Yay! 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 Hey, Chris. Hooray for my triumphant return. And that big box of pancakes you've got in Oh, my front of gosh. You. That's the best part of this not being on video. I'm going to shut my <laughs> face the whole time. It's going to be great. Um, so, anyway, guys, as Chris is stuffing... Uh, okay. Pancake mix easy, into her face. Easy. <laughs> easy. That did not come across this the way. This is already going so well. I'm so excited. Welcome back. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's good to have you guys here. And here's how uh, today's podcast is going to go. We're going to talk about some predetermined topics that I have here. Things talking about Fast X. It, it does not look like it's having a great projection at least for its opening weekend we're going to talk about new trailer dropped first official trailer for leonardo dicaprio's new killers of the flower moon we're going to talk about this legend of zelda situation that was the subject of a min mobile hotline question that came in cw for the first time since smallville has no superhero shows programmed and lined up and negasonic and yukio are officially returning for deadpool 3 and then in the second part of the show, we're going to take questions that our beloved channel members, of course, over on our YouTube channel, we have memberships, and uh, we turn to our channel members to see if they've got any questions. And we're going to read through a bunch of those questions in the second part of the show. So, all that down, let's get into it here, shall we? Um, we did a video on this earlier today, but, you know, Fast X is coming out in theaters. It opens tonight. I mean, I've got a lot of people read to me, wait a minute, I thought it opened tomorrow. Well, yeah, but we all know now that when a movie opens on Friday, that really means it opens on Thursday. So a bunch of us are going to go see it tonight. Uh, a lot of people around the country have already seen it. It's getting mixed reviews, like not not great reviews, but not horrible either. Last I checked, Ray, maybe you can look this up. Last I checked, it was holding, a, I think, a 59% is what it had, which, by the way, is exactly the same critic rating that Fast 9 had. Uh, was a 59%. So what, the we, average is 57 for this oh, yeah, entire franchise. The, the average oh, is 57. Yes. at 55 now. Fast 10 is at 55 now. Fast X. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So it's dropping. Well, anyway, the projections just came out. Now we heard a few weeks ago that the long range projections that the industry was guessing that uh, fast X is going to make on its opening weekend was between 50 and $60 million. Now, sometimes those long range, long range projections get adjusted as you get up to the actual weekend of release. And I, for one, thought that we would hear that those projections go up. However, <laughs> Deadline reported that, nope, the projection is $60 million. Now, we talked about on the video this morning that that makes, that would make, if it does come in at $60 million, that would make Fast X the lowest opening weekend for anything in the Fast and the Furious franchise since 2006 when Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift opened with $21 million. Everything after that has been more than 60, even Hobbs and Shaw, 
Woot woot! <laughs> the one Fast and Furious movie that Chris has seen. <laughs> uh, even Hobbs and Shaw made 60, like 60.3 million or something like that. So there is a possibility here that Fast X might open lower than what a spinoff to it did, Hobbs and Shaw did. So look, I, I think those are pretty interesting numbers and we went around it a bit today, but like, you know, Chris, why? I mean, this is a franchise. <laughs> I ask myself this all the time about this franchise. <laughs> the franchise, despite the fact that it's been utterly ridiculous and preposterous, a lot of us have considered it a hell of a lot of fun. And a number, they've made big money. A couple have made over the a billion dollar mark. Even Fast 9, which was total garbage, made well over $700 million. Why, when we're coming into Fast 10, a movie that I personally think the trailers look fantastic, Jonathan doesn't agree. I, do I don't not. know. Like, why, why do you think it's projecting this low? I mean, I think we've seen family hold a lot of things together, but after duct tape and space... I don't know if you can do Where much do you from go there. after that? Yeah, I feel like everyone I've talked to, because again, I have not seen this, but we are watching Fast in the Furious uh, franchise this weekend. As Logan's recovering, I said we could watch all of these movies together, <laughs> which uh, might make him worse. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, some calming <laughs> movies know, for you. Right? Just something soothing, a whole bunch of explosions and Vin Diesel. But I think that last movie left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth, which is really, really wild because, I mean, to your point, this is such a fantastically successful franchise. Yeah. Yeah. is the eighth highest grossing franchise in film. It is Universal's most successful franchise. It's made a collective $6 billion. Oh my God. And it started with a couple guys kind of ripping off Point Break, you know? Yeah. So it's really interesting that at this point, the audience is saying, hey, maybe we've jumped the shark and maybe enough yeah. is enough. I think it all comes down to how fans view this movie though. Because I, I do think the trailers for this do look really wacky and weird, but fun. And I think there's also that lovely little added Easter egg of having Brie Larson, who is a genuine hyper fan of Fast and Furious in this. I think it could be a Jason really, really interesting looks thing. great in yeah, it. Yeah, he seems yeah. like such a fun villain in this. So I feel like it's going to do fairly well regardless of what these critic scores are. But we'll see. Yeah, I just think that, you know, they you know how they're pushing the envelope every movie. Maybe yeah, they're maybe trying to they, make it more and more extreme. Maybe yeah. they hit that wall with the last one. People are like, I'm not I don't like where this is going. I'm not going to watch the next one. This well, is too ridiculous. What, I don't know. When you guys saw uh, Fast 9 in, in the theater, were people like, oh, yeah, like cheering or were they like laughing at it? No, it, they when, were hyped. Okay. So when I well, I'll tell you what I went, me, Rob, Anne, and our friend Cliff who is a industry insider. We went, we were, we got to see fast nine about a month and a half early at a, about a month and a half early screening. And we were so psyched because I'm a big fast and furious fan. And the whole movie, all four of us just kept looking at each other and there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm in the theater. I was in, but yours, yours, there were. Oh no, I haven't said, I didn't see it. Oh, that's right. You've only seen going, going into it. I knew so many people were really hyped and then yes. just were disappointed. So it wasn't even a, this is a tombstone pizza bad. It was, this is just bad, bad. So I feel like everyone really forgives a lot in this franchise too. So many ridiculous things happen. Vin Diesel is the strongest man in the known universe, apparently, <laughs> from what I gather. So I think to hear people be so disappointed after nine is really, really disheartening because at the very least, it should be kind of mindless fun. Well, here, let me ask this though, because I, I haven't heard anybody bring this up and I'm kind of surprised. 
So we're looking at the lower numbers thinking, well, you know, maybe because, you know, the box office still hasn't fully recovered from the pandemic. Maybe it's just how bad Fast 9 was. Uh, maybe people are waiting for Little Mermaid. I don't know. But let me let me address the elephant What a double room. feature. <laughs> <laughs> Fast X and Little Mermaid. What about this, though? There's been a lot of drama surrounding this franchise the last couple of years. Like going back to like Tyrese kind of blowing up at, at Dwayne Johnson, the very public falling out between Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel, um, the Lynn, the director of the film, walking off the film after they had already started producing this thing. I mean, could, I mean, I, I don't know. Like is the drama could that have could that have just because it's been a while and I'm just wondering if all that drama if like month after month and month drama I would just wonder if that even subconsciously sours it with some people you know it could I mean especially with the beef between Dwayne and Vin I don't know if your average movie going audience is locked in on directors passing the torch but I do think yeah, because true. of social media I think they certainly were very very aware of the feud between the two of them. Because oh, Vin and Dwayne have a lot of social media followers. They have so many followers and it came up so often. I just, I remember Dwayne Johnson promoting Jungle Cruise and him and Emily Blunt just talking mad shit about Vin Diesel yeah. while they were promoting another movie. So that could have, be, that could be a factor. All right. <laughs> Guys, question is for you. What do you think? Uh, I mean, right now it's looking like Fast 10 is going to be the lowest opening weekend since 2006 for this franchise, since Tokyo Drift. Um, what do you attribute that to? What do you think could be behind it? Do you think, you know, maybe it'll find legs and do well? I don't care what anybody says. I'm still excited to see this movie. So stick it in your nose, Jonathan. I am excited to see this movie. Right in, it in your nose. nose. Keep Stick that same energy tomorrow. Nose. Keep that same energy tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> After I see it, we'll see. All right, <laughs> let's move on to uh, let's move on to this next thing here, shall we? Um, back at CinemaCon one, I mean, there was a lot of great stuff that we saw at CinemaCon this year, but one of the really more profound things I think we saw was the first kind of peak at the new Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio film, Killers of the Flower Moon, which we all know have been coming. And you know what? This project is really interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, it's an Apple TV production that they are putting out theatrically and then later will go on to Apple TV. So that's pretty interesting of itself. It's a Martin Scorsese movie. It's a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. And so whenever those two are making a film together, you expect to be something good. We saw the first preview of it at CinemaCon and we were blown away. Well, that first trailer is now out and online and now people are able to see it. And it was one of those trailers. I mean, the trailers can do different things to really get you in rapture with them. Some will be action, some will be comedy. But I'll tell you what, this was neither action nor comedy. But when they showed us this at CinemaCon, I was angry when it ended because I wanted to watch more. And this instantly looks like Martin Scorsese saying, can you believe I only have one directing Academy Award in my career? I'm coming for a second one. At least that's what it feels like because this movie looks awesome. It looks incredible. You were, Chris, I remember you missed one day Mm -hmm. of CinemaCon because you were teaching class. Were you there when, when we watched the uh, the preview for Killers yeah, of the Flower the Moon? Yeah, the only thing I missed was Batman Flashpoint. Um, yeah, that I got was to, it. I got, I got to catch everything else, including the masterpiece, The Boogeyman. Yeah. I got to see it all. 
I love this trailer. It is intense. Just that constant drumbeat in it is so wonderful. I think uh, Lily Gladstone is going to be a household name after this. Um, I think this looks very, very amazing. And I do think, too, so much of Martin Scorsese's stuff now is kind of, eh, fuck you, I'm Martin Scorsese. <laughs> This is a three and a half hour runtime. It's three hours and 26 minutes. Oh, this movie, ready, Ray is shaking get ready. His head. <laughs> three Ray burritos, is my friend. Head a lot right now. I mean, it's going to be intense, but I think he's at this point in his career, though, where it's just, this is how I want to tell stories. Yeah. Take it or leave it. And because he's Martin Scorsese, we typically just go, yes, sir. Okay, that's fine with us. Yeah. I'm very intrigued to see this. Ray was talking about this off camera, too, that this is a movie that feels like it's going to just piss you off the yeah. whole time yeah. Oh, yeah. just because it, of the subject matter rife with injustice oh absolutely well i mean i mean jonathan you just watched the trailer yeah. like i know for us it's like i i again all movies i always say that movies i believe are experiential events right they a, a film is successful based on whether or not it gives you that experiential you know moment like whether that experience is fear or laughter or excitement or whatever and I just found this thing made me enraged. Like watching this trailer made me angry. And Absolutely. it's like, but that's that's perfectly on par with other types of experiences. Anyway, John, you just watched the trailer. Like, what was your first impression of it? My first impression is that you really feel like you're in Leo's position, you know, surrounded by whatever is he's embroiled in, you know? Uh, you kind of feel powerless. And and then him kind of quoting that book as he's reading it at the very end, he's yeah. like, can you spot the wolves in this picture? That, that just like leaves you with chills. The the vibe actually ha gives me, a um, not in terms of tone of either of these movies, but of the time and the place of uh, River Runs Through It and also um, uh, Legends of the Fall. Oh, right. It's like yeah, that, yeah. A northern Midwestern 1920s mining town or oil town yeah, or whatever. I can see that. Uh, really cool vibe. Uh, it, it's shot beautifully. That, that opening scene with the uh, the tribe, they're, they're doing um, their dance and it's like in slow motion. But the way it's kind of shot, it almost has like a 3D feel to it. But it's not, it, it's shot beautifully and tastefully. It's not like it's trying to be like. You know, it's a, it's a totally different movie, but you mm -hmm. know what kind of sense I got watching the trailer? And and again, this movie is a totally different kind of movie. I almost got a sense of uh, Wind River kind of DNA Ooh. feel. Like I remember having the same kind of feelings when I was, not the trailers for Wind River, but when I was watching Wind River, having, um, which might be my favorite uh, Jeremy uh, Renner. Uh, Renner movie, but I mean, I had that kind of feel. Anyway, the trailer is moving and powerful. Guys, if you've seen it, which it's out there now, and this is now a must-watch movie, make sure you go watch that trailer. It's available now. Go check it out, and then uh, let us know what you guys think about it. All right. Let's move on next to this thing here. We just did a, a mid-mobile hotline question about this, but I, I really thought it was interesting, and we should talk about it a little bit more, so we're going to discuss it here, which is Legend of Zelda... Tears of the Kingdom is now out. And apparently, Chris, I think you mentioned earlier today that it was sold like 10 million copies already. Yep, in its first weekend. Which is stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous how much that is. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation and talk about what does Nintendo do next? You know, they just put out Mario Brothers. This is Nintendo reintroducing themselves to the movie world since the Bob Hoskins Mario Brothers movie long before many of people were born. Um, and it made $1.2 billion 
highest grossing by a mile, highest grossing video game adaptation of all time. I believe right now it's the fifth highest grossing uh, animated film of all time, fifth or fourth. It's up there. Smashing all kinds of box, box office records. So what is what do they do next? Well, obviously next they do a sequel, but then what do they do? And I know a lot of people have said things like Metroid or whatever, but honestly, Metroid does not carry the same kind of, I, the nostalgia is not the right word I'm looking for, mm -hmm. but doesn't carry that same emotional connection that Link does in Zelda. I think Zelda's the way that you go. And that kind of got reintroduced and brought up again because in a interview with Polygon, apparently the producer of the Legend of Zelda games has just said that he was absolutely interested in developing a movie. For sure, I think it was his exact words, for sure interested in developing a movie. And I think most of us would agree that's the next step for them to go. But the one bit of disagreement, Chris, I think you and I had was, whereas you and I think a lot of people think the best way to do that is an animated form, I would like to see them take a crack at doing it live action. Um, I, I know, Ray, you got, like, let's, let's say they're doing a Link movie. They're doing a Zelda movie tomorrow. And let's say they got two different movies playing. One's a live action movie and one's an animated movie. They're in two different theaters, one on your left, one on your right. Which one are you going in to watch first? Oh man. I, I think it might have to be the live action Ooh. to be honest. I mean, I, I, there's this, the way they did Mario brothers was like, I thought was perfect for what I viewed as the Mario brothers. Like so game accurate. It should too. have always been animated. Even the movie back then, it should have always been animated. Link gets different because there's so many elephant uh, elements that would have, uh, would look cool in live action. Like, you know, like the adventure part. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some monsters I want to see or, or bosses that he's fought that I want to see live action. It'll be like uh, th that game that I was playing at your place, uh, Shadow of Colossus. Oh, yeah, I remember Ooh, that. Like, that was where gorgeous. It kind of, you could kind of tell, like, oh, this would look cool, like live action. I would lean more towards live action, but I wouldn't complain about if it was animated or live action, because the animation in this game is beautiful. As 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 plain of like it's not as like realistic, it works for it. As in it's still beautiful, like the the Zelda game currently. Like I still find the 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 atmosphere, the environment really cool. You could see the uh, de depth of the world in the game, like with this animation. So I don't know. I'll go for either one, but the first one I would go to would probably be live action. Jonathan, what about you? I lean towards animation. I think even from a budget budget uh, perspective, you're going to get away with more. Um, and you're not going to be as hamstrung by the budget if you're going live action and what you can achieve, how, how big you want to go. If it was live action, I'd want it to be highly stylized because Zelda, the, especially these last two outings, have been highly stylized mm -hmm. visually. So I don't want him just running around a forest that looks like Yosemite, like I want it to be stylized. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, I, I just, I kind of envision, I feel like this could be a Lord of the Rings kind of epic. Oh, it absolutely In live could. action. I mean, I think one of the things we would all agree, whether it's animated or live action, Link needs to be Chris Pratt. Like, right? Get like out. we're all on the same board. We're on the same boat. You know, one of the <laughs> things that the, that the animation could get away with is they could keep him silent in the animation. But, <laughs> but I, I think that would be a mistake. No, no, no. But everything else. So it was on Chris Pratt. It's vocal. You know I know, what I mean? but I think that would be a mistake. Yeah. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't think you can have your main character not having them speak. 
I just I just don't know that you just can do grunting it. grunting the whole time. <laughs> so much of that is just the mechanics of the game, yeah. of making you feel yeah. more like yeah. you're Link in that yeah. moment, right? Because everything's directed at you then. Right. And I will say, one of the reasons why Mario needed to be animated too is if you had that be a live action film, you just as it is, if beat for beat, shot for shot, that was live action that we saw with Chris Pratt and Anya Taylor-Joy, it wouldn't feel the same right. because so much of that is nostalgia based on the visuals and the sound effects. Right. So if the visuals are gone for that one, you don't have the same experience. Whereas if you look at the Zelda games, there is a lot of story that you can pull from. There's this vast tapestry of timelines and lore and so many interesting little creatures. Oh my gosh, you have so much to play with, so mm -hmm. much wonderful music, so many incredible storylines. So that could translate to live action much more effectively. It's just, you know, to Jonathan's point, that stylization of the animation is so cool that that's why I want it on a big screen. All right, guys. The question is for you. We got the producer of Zelda now saying that he absolutely would love to see a, a, a movie of it for sure. He'd like it, but can it happen? And if they do, do you think it should be animated or do you think they should go for it in live action? I think there's pros and cons to both. Whatever you guys think, let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, uh, let's get onto this here. It is truly a new day. The times, they are a changing. Things are different and we're not in Kansas anymore. Every cliche you can think about, about how, you know, the inevitability of change is here. I was reading an article in The Hollywood Reporter that was basically laid out something that is just a simple fact, but it's kind of staggering when you think about it. The new lineup for CW, which of course just went through an ownership change and all that kind of lots of things are different at CW right now, but the new lineup for CW just came out. And for the first time since the days of Smallville, there are no superhero shows. None. Not a single one listed there. And to me, it just kind of hit me. I mean, that's not a big news story in and of itself. But, but for me, it kind of hit me a bit. Because when you go back, I don't know, eight or nine years when Arrow was getting started, right? And I thought that was a, Arrow was a dumb idea. Uh, I didn't think anybody would care about it. And I ended up really loving the show, at least for the first few seasons, really loved it. And then of course I did the flash spinoff, which I also thought was a stupid idea, but I also came around on and started to really enjoy and like the show. Uh, and then what else did they have? They had black lightning. They had Supergirl. They, who's the girl with the big star and the staff star girl. Star yeah, girl. Star Thank makes you. Sense. Who's the girl with the star star girl. Yeah. yeah. That's the one. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, star girl legends of tomorrow. Uh, am I losing Batwoman? Batwoman that didn't last long. No, um, they had like, a new one too, but it, they they got canceled right away. Um, Gotham Knights? No, no, well, the but that is that. another um, one. The, the, uh, I'll figure it out. But go ahead, yeah. Uh, Superman and Lois, uh, yeah. which started on CW, which was great. I mean, look, it just we went from I remember Arrow starting and it just kind of felt like this is what TV is always going to be like now. And even as, you know, Arrow was wrapping up, the Arrowverse was still going strong. And even though Flash probably should have wrapped up two and a half seasons ago, they're still going. Actually, I think they just dropped the first trailer for their series finale. I, you know what? I might actually tune in and just watch the series finale. Um, even though I haven't watched the last couple of years, I, I'll probably just tune in and watch it. Because I, I did love the first five some odd seasons of that show. But 
it's really weird in a context mode to think about CW is not going to have any of them anymore. They're gone. So Mike, the question I'm asking myself, is this more an issue of, Hey, CW is under new ownership. Now they're going to be trying to do different things. Or is this a reflection of maybe, Hey, you know what? TV got really saturated with superhero content. Like a lot, like you think movies do No, like weekly episodes of 18 superhero shows. So I don't know, Chris, uh, let me put it to you first. Like, is this more a byproduct of a huge, massive change over at CW, which canceled not just all the superhero shows, but they were canceling a lot of other shows too. Mm -hmm. Or is this more of a indication of, Hey man, television just went way too far into every other new show coming out was a superhero show. I don't know. Where do you see that balance? Some column A, some column B. You got to remember too, that the CW has never turned a profit in, in its entire lifespan since uh, WB and UPN merged and formed the CW since 2006, I believe, never has turned a profit despite the Arrow versus pro- popularity because that was huge. I mean, yeah. that was massive. People would get in all those lines at Comic-Con. CW also had Supernatural, one of the longest res- running shows ever, 15 seasons, right? That has its own convention. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild that this network has never turned a profit. But when you do have so many other superhero content shows out there, you really have to up the quality of it too because you're competing now with HBO. You're competing with Amazon. You're competing with really fantastic storylines. And don't get me wrong, some of the episodes of Flash, of Supergirl, of some of those other shows were fantastic and I really liked them. That's my taste though. If it's not your taste, that's fine. And they also had a lot of comic book writers writing for these episodes, which I really enjoyed. But with a CW budget... And that more youth-oriented, quote-unquote, skewed kind of way of approaching storytelling sometimes, you know, the same way they approach Riverdale or things like that, I think it really limited them. And I think they need to expand their scope because that's what's so great about some of these other shows is you're reaching a wider audience. Some of those people who grew up initially on the CW, folks like me who were watching these shows in high school, and now they're at a point of, hey, I've kind of changed my tastes when it comes to some of my superhero fare. Mm, Some of these are nice, but I also enjoy something with Billy Butcher. I think that's something you got to kind of walk the line on. Uh, Also, well, the show I was talking about was Naomi. That one, Ava DuVernay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that guy. The one that Rosario Dawson in that. Uh, I'm not sure, but that's the show I saw. But I think also no, the Rosario Dawson one was a different one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To 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 further uh, Chris's point, like I think everyone just wants to watch their shows on their own time. You know what I mean? And CW, you have to watch it on that night. The Flash premiere is going to premiere on that night at that time. And it feels like people just like to watch their shows that on their, you know, whenever they want. And it's like, that's why the ratings probably weren't that great for. Well, I mean, CW's shows. never had great ratings. No, I mean, they, right? They yeah. also too came up with their own app, which was free. Right. The CW and app. The episodes would get, get removed after a while. Oh. But I do wonder how effective that was because I remember watching it and saying, well, there's not really a lot of commercials on here. It's just kind of advertising their other shows. So I don't know how they were turning a profit either when they do that streaming revenue of, okay, well, you can watch, you know, Walker, Texas Ranger whenever you want for reasons. And now that's a show. <laughs> that, one, that one's sticking around. But. 
I don't know how they're making money. Yeah, they should they should restart this whole CW thing and just start try a whole new genre. Well, they are. It's all new leadership. Yeah, yeah. But let yeah. me ask you this too. Okay, so how much of it do you think could be like we talked about what the, the changing of leadership? We talked about maybe it, it, you know superhero stuff on television got oversaturated. But how much of it is this? Because when Arrow came out, I mean, one of the first things that you notice is, wow, this is low budget compared to movies, right? And but that was fine. We kind of a we kind of readjusted our expectations and yeah. retuned our brains because we understand, hey, like this is television superhero stuff we expect lower budget. But then Disney Plus came along. And all of a sudden we're getting WandaVision, which has big major stars and big recognizable characters and big feature film kind of budgets. And Loki comes and and I wonder if that as they raise the bar on the production, I wonder if that too, when all that started happening, if it made some of us in the audience all of a sudden now go over and look at the CW show and goes, oh, suddenly this feels really cheap. I, I don't know. Do you think that could have been a part of it? That definitely could be a factor. I will say, I feel like the Arrowverse walked though. So Disney plus could run and prove that a mm. serialized weekly show could work. And yeah. that we would absolutely continue tuning into these kinds of stories from the comfort of our own home. All right, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, it's, to me, it's just a little bit of a shock to the system. CW without any superhero shows on it. It's kind of weird. What do you think led us to this point? Whatever you guys think, uh, jump down and let us know your thoughts. All right. This will be the last main topic we discuss here today. We we just did an individual standalone video about this one earlier too, but I, I irrationally love this news. So with Deadpool <laughs> 3 coming out, we heard Morena Baccarin was coming back, which was great. I thought that was absolutely, like you, you gotta have her character as essential to Wade's character. Absolutely essential. Not essential, but I really wanted him back was Colossus. Like, I, again, you could do a Deadpool movie without Colossus, but I would miss Colossus if Colossus wasn't there. And then a few other names got brought up that was going to be there and stuff like that. But I hadn't heard anything about Negasonic Teenage Warhead. And by extension, her girlfriend, Yukio, who I find fucking delightful. Anyway, today, finally, the official news broke that both Negasonic and Yukio are both coming back. Yeah, yeah damn right. Hey. Damn right. I, from the very first one, what, and I tried, what was the joke that Deadpool made? Like the first time Negasonic shows off her power, he goes, I hate to be the guy that tries to pressure her into prom sex or something like that. Like, ever since, like the dynamic of her kind of FU attitude yet, and I said this in the video earlier today, at the same time having this real respect and loyalty to Colossus. And then out of nowhere, despite the fact that she seems very hard edged and very rough around the edges, and stuff like that, having a girlfriend who is three pounds of but butter, two pounds of sugar, and a whole truckload of sunshine poured into one in Yukio. And I was saying in the video earlier today, Chris, you weren't here when we recorded this one, mm -hmm. but I said, I know Yukio isn't in the movie much, but her very sweetness and her very presence when she's on screen and Wade says like, hi, Yukio. Hi, Wade. Like just the way, the, the, the bubbliness, the joy, the innocence, all that kind of stuff. I don't know why. Whenever that character just came on screen, it, it, it triggered an emotional reaction to me of, 
it made me happy. Like, and she would just be on screen and you feel happy. And I love movies that have like little elements of that. So having Negasonic there, I think is super exciting. Having Yukio there, I think is super exciting. I'm really excited. Now that we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you weren't here. Mm-hmm. So, but now you've heard about this news. They're back. How do you see it? Like, are, are they really, look, it's just, they're just not even secondary characters. They're kind of third level characters. It's not all that big of a deal. Or do you love it as like I love it? I love this for oh, a good. multitude so of reasons. She is precious and she needs to be protected at all costs. And I want them to stay together forever. I also love the implications of this because of having Wolverine in this movie. Because ah. Yukio, as we've seen in The Wolverine, is another character. The mutant who is able to see your death. The trained ninja. I totally forgot that, that was the same character. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, obviously, this Yukio who's totally been in Deadpool, that. same name, right? This one has different powers. She's got more of a kind of new mutants situation yeah. going on. But I do think that has a whole bunch of opportunity to play around with of that kind of multiverse, funky timelines thing that, you know, Marvel really enjoys doing. So I think this could lead to some really fun moments. I- I also want to add, look the mistake that Ant-Man made by not having Michael Peña in that movie. It's oh. almost like it's almost like these two I've I just associate well, especially Negasonic with Deadpool. Yeah. That, that, as as weird as that combination is, I can't watch a Deadpool movie without an appearance by her, him saying something to her or her saying something to him, whatever. That um I think this is great news for 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 the next movie. It's it will be interesting to see what kind of impact they make if any well to your point like negasonic really has become a part of the personality of the deadpool franchise right and and i love your comparison to the michael pena situation because man i'll tell you listen ant-man and the wasp quantum mania had had many problems but one of the ones to me is that i think they tragically underrated how much of a factor Michael Pena's Luis character was to those movies in giving that series its DNA. Because I'll tell you what, watching Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, even though Michael Pena was never a major character in the other films, it didn't even feel like an Ant-Man movie to me. And I'm not saying that Michael Pena being there would have just instantly fixed that, but that was certainly, I think, a part of it. And I think you're right. I think if we went into Deadpool 3, I think by the end of the movie, I would have went... I don't know, something was off. It probably would have been just the lack of a Negasonic because she is such a part of the personality. Uh, yeah, but then also, now that I think about it, where could they have fit him? But I still would have liked to see him in there at least, you know, uh, Michael Pena. Because Quantum Realm, I mean. Hey, listen, if he could have just been in the room where yeah. they all of them got sucked in. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to go into a yeah, discussion right, right, about right, right. that, but... But I, I like your comparison to the Negasonic thing because I think you're absolutely right. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? I mean, look, I'm pro- we're probably more excited about these new additions to Deadpool than most people are, but excited we are nonetheless. How are you guys feeling about it? Whatever your thoughts are, jump on down and let us know. All right, guys, listen, we're now going to move over and start taking the questions that our YouTube channel members have been submitting for us to address. We're not going to be able to get through all of them. We'll get through as many as we can. But before we do, we want to take a quick second and thank a couple of the sponsors. Today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile, and the great folks at ExpressVPN. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. 
Guys, it is 2023 and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Hey guys, remember, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you look down into the description, you'll find links and promo codes to today's sponsors. And thank you again to Mint Mobile and ExpressVPN. All right, guys, with that down, let's go over and hear what our channel members have to say and ask. Chris, what do we got in there? First up from Kendall Barker. I'm not a podcast guy, but I have to admit the show you, Jonathan, Ray, and Chris are putting on is starting to win me over. <laughs> Great job, the John Campia Show crew. And then it's all of our little memojis. Aw, thank you, Kendall. Appreciate that very much, man. Jonathan, I'd never seen yours before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's precious. <laughs> What a likeness. From Confession Deception, hey, John and crew, with Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out on the same day, there's been some worries about how these films may impact each other at the box office. Funnily enough, an interesting trend I've noticed from friends of mine in film school and otherwise is that they want to see both films the same day as a double feature. I think you got to click that read oh, more. Golly. Oh, 
There we go. Uh, did, yeah. From uh, could this be a niche trend, or do you think there could be something here where the competing show, uh, competing films actually help each other at the box office? I don't understand the question. What's, what's um, people movies? going on the same day to see two movies. Mm. Do you think that's a trend that a lot of people might start doing? Of oh hey, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer and Barbie today. I don't know. Like I've listen. I've always been a double feature guy. I yeah. mean, if if there are two movies in theaters that I really want to see, I mean, I I'm a double feature guy. I don't know that I notice that people are getting more into that trend than any other time before. But I, I mean, look, first of all, listen, especially with movie theater showing a half freaking hour of commercials and trailers, seeing two movies back to back is a huge time commitment because just the trailers itself is another hour to your night. Oh, yeah. So it's not super practical, but I enjoy doing it. Maybe it's such a task now for people to go to the theater that when they are, they're there, they want to get the most out of it. And maybe a double feature I works for them. So that, actually, so that's a really good yeah. observation. But yeah, I, I do the opposite. I want a happy feature where I just watch half the movie and go... <laughs> And then take a nap and go back and watch it again. I do that. When I used to only have Sundays off, I would see three movies in a day. And yeah. I would call it plexing. And I would just miss usually the very first five minutes of something because of the time. Like the, but, the, and the then I jump into over. the next one. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Franklin Donahue. Hey, John, now that you've shifted to an audio-only show, do you have any plans to introduce some segments that might only work on a podcast, like a movie score of the week or something? Well, I mean, remember, first of all, there is audio in video. So, I mean, if we wanted to do a movie score of the week, we could have done that in the video version of the True. show too. But the same problem would exist in video version or audio only version. Copyright. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we can't, we can't play movie scores on our show because we will get dinged and we will get dinged hard. But uh, no, no plans for that right now, but something I'll keep in mind. All right, what's next? From Amin. John, do you still play guitar? I just started taking lessons last week. I already play piano, percussion, and drums, but wanted to learn a new instrument. When can we get another live performance from you? <laughs> uh, thanks, Amin. Yeah, I, I I play my guitar almost every day. Um, and actually, at home, I invested a little bit into a little bit of a home studio. I got my keyboards. I got stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, I I write. I do some writing of music almost every week. Are, are you going to make the announcement today, John? Your first single? The, oh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, 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 oh sorry, Ray, sorry. you let it out oh, of the my bag. God. Oh, no. Actually, you know, it's funny because I was so cheap. When I made my first movie, little ind independent film I did called The Anniversary, um, almost half the soundtrack is, is me <laughs> because it was just cheaper to do it that way. Mm -hmm. I got some great other bands to uh, commission them to do some music and stuff like that, too. But yeah, I'm, I, I still play almost every day. Thank you for asking. All right, what's next? From Jacob Hirsch. Hey, John and crew. I've been following since the Arrow After Show and finally just signed up for your membership. Yay. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Sad to see the main show go, but I'm happy you're doing what's best for yourself. Here's the new podcast. My question is, do you think Loki could be the new leader of the Avengers in Kang Dynasty? He'll have had the most experience against Kang, and it would be an interesting narrative for him after being the first Avengers villain. Would also be interesting to watch Thor follow his brother for once. Bring on the filthy. Best wishes to all. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for that, Jacob. Zero chance. Absolutely <laughs> zero chance. I mean, even if you look at the Loki character in the Loki show, that's not a leader. Like by any stretch of the imagination. Not to mention a lot of members, whoever the lineup of the Avengers ends up being, a lot of the members of the Avengers is going to, oh, you're the guy who invaded Earth. And probably a lot of people died when you invaded. Remember when you invaded Earth with that big alien army? Uh, we don't even know what the body count was uh, in that thing. And they go, oh, and you're now the le leader of the Avengers? Why? 
Well, because I know Kang. Really? That's you just need to know the guy and that no. No, I I just don't see. Listen, I love Loki. He's one of my favorite characters in the MCU, but he is no leader and I I can't see it being remotely narratively possible for him to be the leader of the Avengers. Do you really see him as the uh, one of the major keys of them defeating Kang? I can he see him playing a big key. part in um yeah. in Kang Dynasty. Of course though, whenever we talk about Kang, all I do I just have the sound clip in my head playing of Thanos going no resurrections this time. Ha <laughs> ha, fuck you, Thanos. Sure I do. And uh, he just keeps coming back. So yeah, he'll be there. All right, what's next? Cool Made 2000. Hey, John and crew, I just realized that Loki season two premieres on the same opening weekend as Craven the Hunter. And if on the usual six episode count, ends on the same opening weekend as the Marvels. Mm. Are the release dates too close together or is that perfect? I personally think it's perfect. Like a lot of people often worry about something that's coming out on TV and something's coming out in theaters. Like, oh no, those are coming out the same day. It's like, yeah, but TV is just always going to be there. I can open that up any hour of the day at any time, no matter what. I really don't see there being any overlap. Glad you brought up Craven the Hunter though. I got some scoop on Craven. You do? Yeah. Okay, let me say this and I want to hear the scoop. Mm-hmm. I They showed us the first big, they haven't released it online, have they? The no. Craven the Hunter. So they showed us like a two to three minute Craven the Hunter trailer. Very red band. It's going to be an R-rated movie, which totally surprised me. I like the look of the Craven trailer. Like, it doesn't look like the greatest superhero movie of all time, but I liked the look of this trailer. I'm, I'm actually kind of really excited to see this movie. But what is this thou knowest about Uh-oh. Craven? Exclusive. Exclusive. From what I have been told, it is a mess. It is a mess. I don't believe it. I think you're being lied to. haven't finished... A lot of things. So it's I don't like Morbius it. on crack. It might be. Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> I think you, they're totally confident in this. I don't want to. I don't want to blow my sources, but yeah, I'll um, let you know some stuff. I, I will say this: I a lot of people will be put off probably by, but I, I do like the angle of this new Craven, like the angle with the animals that they they. I'll yeah, when I first trailer. heard about it, yeah. I thought it sounded silly, but seeing in the trailer, it's like, oh, yeah. this actually makes sense. This yeah. works. Right. So I'm down with that. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Very violent, though. Yeah. Very, very Caught me violent. So off guard. I still can't figure it out. Was it his eye or a nose? I think I, it was his eye. Okay, either way, I screamed. I literally, I don't know how biologically it's possible, but there's a scene in the yeah. trailer where Craven grabs a guy's face and bites his eye out. Look, it was it was not an okay day to Some be people me. are saying it was his nose, and maybe I'm maybe wrong, it but it sure looked to me like he was he was gorging the guy's eyeball out with his teeth. Yeah. These, well, these people disgusting. are pulling tusks out of elephants like that, so I, they deserve it all. Yeah, they deserve to die. Yeah. These, these are the same guys who would have killed John Wick's puppy. Yeah, Very right. true. What's next? Joe Hawkins. Hey, John, hope you and the crew are well. I went to see the Guardians 3 last night. Nice. It broke me emotionally. But here's my question. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to clap for that. <laughs> here's my question. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Do you think the motorcycle stunt is the final shot of the movie? I hope it isn't. Can't leave us on that for a year. No, 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 no. I like While this may be a Part 1, Part 2 thing, I think it'll... I think that's probably going to be in the third act, but I don't believe at all that they end it on that, like, in the least. Like, here's the thing. Whenever you're doing a movie that's like Part 1 and Part 2, you still have to remember that you have to give the audience member a satisfying full movie experience. So you can't just have, and you can do that with a cliffhanger, right? But it can't be a dangling cliffhanger, if you know what I mean. Like it, you still have to, even though this <laughs> is called part one, 
it still has to feel like a movie that has a beginning, middle, and end, right? You have to still give a full movie experience. And them just leaving it off with him jumping off that cliff with the, with the, uh, with the motorcycle and then credits rolling. I mean, I think that'd be really unsatisfying. Not to mention, it's not like people can just tune in next week to see what happens. They got to wait a year yeah. or, or more. So, no, I don't think that's going to be the, in the, uh, at the end. Well, especially it, since it's been shown. Yes. You know? That yeah, you, be... don't, you don't show off for a year your last shot of the yeah. movie. Yeah, the yeah I agree. All right, what's next? <laughs> Mighty Tank 1. Do you think the writer's strike and potential other strikes will have a big impact on Comic-Con? No. Uh, not this year's Comic-Con. Um, again, the stuff that they probably, the vast majority of the stuff that they would be talking about, discussing and showing off at Comic-Con is stuff that's already done mm -hmm. for the most part. Now, depending how long this strike goes, it could impact next year's Comic-Con. But this year, I don't think there'd be a big shock. Do you think so? I don't think so. It really depends on on how long everything goes. But yeah, you have to remember, too, that a lot of these studios, they are the signatories that the WGA and potentially SAG is striking. So you can still do a kind of Kevin Feige, look at my PowerPoint presentation about a lot yeah. of stuff. You can still have all these different fan events. You can still have all the vendors and everything. Hall H might just yeah. look a little different. Pops are still going to sell out. Yeah, exactly. If, if they oh, actually yeah. attend the Comic Con, yeah, I'm not going. Well, and, and a because great, those halls are full already. Yeah. <laughs> a great thing about the, an option for the WGA writers right now too is they can pivot to working on comics. So that might be another thing where you see a lot of people from television writers from that making new content um, in the comic book world. So that could be cool. All right, what's next? From Tyler. No question, but y'all were hilarious during the open mic yesterday about Wong. Keep up the great work, team. <laughs> what happened? No. What did I? No. I said something. No. And Ray well, said. Because you sounded like him. I yeah. sounded like Wong. I'm like, that was Wong? Because <laughs> he did an impression of. Uh, Strange. Uh, uh, someone. Batman. Batman. It was Batman, right? No, I don't think. Was it Batman? Martha. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why, why did you say that name? Right? Yeah. And but then Ray said, was that Wong? I'm like, What? <laughs> That did that remote? Is that what Wong said? Is that remotely Wong? Yeah, you sound a little more Wongish than yeah, uh, yeah. You did sound a little Affleckish. <laughs> did I really? Yeah, yeah. I still don't hear it, but uh, I will. Oh, I, I will yield to your discernment yeah. on that. Anyone in the comments, please say if you listened yesterday. Tell me that wasn't Wong. That <laughs> okay. was more Wong than um, Ben Affleck for sure. Okay. What's next? From Patrick Hamilton. How much longer do you think the writer strike will last? Oh God. Who will budge first? Won't studios start to lose money uh, if there's no new scripts being written? Start to lose money. Boy, howdy, it's begun. Yeah. I mean, They're still looking strong out at Disney Studios every day. I pass by them on my way to work and on my way home. I, going to St. Joseph's each day. I got yeah. to honk at all of the, uh, the yeah. protesters. There, I mean, look, there's a train of thought oh, out strangers. there that is, there are some people that believe that the studios want this strike. Uh, I was reading uh, one of the newsletters the other day that, you know, I think it might have been baloney. Uh, Bologna, I should say, that was saying, or it might have been the other one. Anyway, that was basically saying, oh yeah, make no mistake, the studios want this strike. They they want this to happen. They want to basically push the writers to the edge of desperation, and uh, and they've prepared for this. You know, it's funny. ABC just announced their lineup, and it's all reality television mm -hmm. bullshit. It's game shows and reality television, <laughs> and it was basically the person who sent me the article said. The studios just threw the gauntlet down, said, here you go. We can just, we can exist without you. Of course, we know we need the writers. Uh, they know they need the writers, but I think to get what they want, 
I think the studios are digging in and they are willing to allow this strike to go on for a long time. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong about that. I really, I really do. Yeah. But I, I think they plan for this. I think they're prepared for this. I think they have their agenda and listen, I, the last one went three months, three months. This could go six. I think this is going to be a long one. This could be a really long one. Uh, I'm sorry. If, this might be a dumb question, but are these writers aren't getting paid right now? Correct. Right? Well, Correct. Yeah. They were so, barely getting so, paid before. If you're not working, you're not getting paid. Okay. Yeah. So, so they're working their other jobs. Okay. That aren't, Which, isn't writing. You know, we, we've talked about this on the show before. There are staff <laughs> writers who have other jobs that you wouldn't really expect. You know, my friend yeah. struck up a conversation in the dog park and a staff writer on an Emmy award winning show also works at a recall. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with having multiple jobs. But when you look at how these shows are making companies so much money. Yeah, they're profiting hugely. And exactly. Yet, and yeah. then the people who are creating these shows aren't making that money. Mm. And to add to all of the strike right now is that SAG, their board members, our board members, have authorized to have us all vote on strike authorization. They unanimously voted for that. And so now all of us are getting our postcard ballots about voting for this. And I know the union for actors right now is very adamant about striking as well. And and I, I've. I've been hearing the Directors Guild is close to it, too. Absolutely. So, I mean, this week, we're going to be looking. Look, hey, listen, 11th hour, good news can come. Absolutely. But right now, it's looking like we're looking at an industry-wide shutdown. And uh, then it's about who's going to blink first. And I I hate saying this because I am. Look, I'm one of these guys where I, I see some validity in what the producers say, like the producers raise some legitimate points that I can acknowledge and look and agree to. I happen to lean more towards the writers here though, about what they're asking, because no one is saying that just because the networks are making a lot of money on a show that that means the writer should get a million dollars too. But when you're in a, when you're an Emmy winning show and you're making that much money off those shows, your writers probably shouldn't have to think they need to also work at Regal to make ends meet. Yeah, there's so many who, you know, I, I it's but wild. I'm going to say this when the question about who's going to blink first, I think the writers are going to blink first. I, I, I don't know. I they're unfortunately like, just in a position where they can't handle a pro. They, they're not in a position where they're going to be able to sustain a, a, as long of a drawn out thing as these resource rich studios. That's can. fair. I think so many of them though, since they already were being bled dry and working ridiculous hours and everything are kind of, I'm used to this. No, I'm that's true. Now I don't have to write. And now I don't have to write yeah. for you. I can be writing all I want, being ready to pitch when well, the time is to go. Yeah. And I do want to specify too, the the Alliance of Motion Pictures and everything is slightly different than the PGA. So it's not just producers too, just for everyone listening. Yeah, it's AMPTP. So, yeah. Which, yeah. So the Producers Guild, there are lots of producers who are on the side of the strike and everything too. The signatories are going to be the members of that AMTP, blah, 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 blah. Um, who are a lot of studio heads, executives, that sort of thing as well. It's this very big kind of nebulous conglomeration of people. I mean, I think the Blink could be more of a, uh, in a, in a situation of compromise. I hope so. I don't know that the blink is like, okay, you get all your terms and we don't be get yeah. nothing. I mean, you're right. We shouldn't get residuals. There'll, there'll, <laughs> there'll be a compromise probably at yeah, some point. For sure. All right. What's next from Mr. Cash seven, nine, three, dear John been a big fan since uh, before the AMC days. Love the show. Which comic book movie do you think John Schnepp would have loved the most? May he rest in peace. I learned I, you can't say for anything like with authority for anybody, but 
I would lean towards WandaVision. Oh, God, he oh. would have loved WandaVision. You know, I st there's something about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I mean, I mean, I also make no mistake about it. He would have loved Endgame. He would, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been out there we love, but there was something about Into the Spider-Verse. I remember it was the first time that when I walked out of a comic book movie after John had died, I walked out of a comic book movie and all I could think about was how much Schnepp would have loved this one. Um, so I, I think it would be close between... Um, I think it would have been close between Endgame and Into the Spider-Verse. But it's hard to say. 100% Multiverse of Madness, he would have been on board. Because he loved all oh, yeah, the parts of it, too. Like, yeah, yeah, he would have loved multi He loved he, Strange in general. Him and Holly came with Ann and I to the premiere of the first Doctor Strange. And, you know, that was right up his alley. But you're right. I think he would have. I mean, there's things in, in, in Multiverse of Madness he wouldn't have liked, for sure. sure. We're not but saying overall, he would have loved that. Yeah, yeah. he would have been on the other side of the thing. All right, what's next? Big cookie. Hey, crew, just got around to watching True Romance for the first time, written by Tarantino. Was wondering what you thought about the movie. I think it's one of my favorite Tarantino films. You know what? Not one of my favorites. I, I do like True Romance. I, I do. I, I like it, but it's not one of those ones that I think about with reverence that a lot of other people do. What did you think about it, Chris? Is that Christian Schlater? I don't no, know if I really no, no, no. classify it as a Tarantino film, even though he wrote it. I don't know. It's not one that comes it's, up in my it's brain. It's not really in the style yeah. of Tarantino, is it? Yeah. It's very different for him, which I mean, I think is a testament to his skill. All right. What's next? From Brecky Splats. Hey, John and crew. Did you hear that Universal's reasoning for the release of uh, Five Nights at Freddy movie Day and Date is due to the game previously being an at-home experience? I thought this was interesting, but I still think it shows a lack of confidence in the film. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Bullshit. Because <laughs> you know what else was a home experience? Mario Brothers. Mm -hmm. Mario Brothers is a home experience. That movie made $1.2 billion. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, you know what else is home experience? Facebook. People use Facebook at home. But, you know, we'll make social network and put it up on the, on the TVs. Yeah. I mean, no, that's... Okay, first of all, besides the fact that that is absolutely a preposterous excuse, I'm insulted that they would think the audience is that stupid to buy that excuse. Well, you know, we thought people play Five Nights at Freddy's at home, so we'll make it a bit bullshit. You don't, I, I hope this movie's great. You weren't here the other day, Chris, when we were talking about the first trailer that came out for Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. So adorable. I love it. I, I, as somebody who played the game, I thought the trailer was great, but whenever Peacock, whenever Universal has put out a movie in theaters and on Peacock day and date. The result has been the same. Garbage. Yeah. And so, yeah, don't don't tell me, oh, it's because people play Friday. That's the stupidest thing in the world. Can, Mario can, Brothers did too. Can we all say that Universal is having a tough week with How the so? projections of Fast X? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then now the Friday. You well, know, recently they their CEO got fired. And it's been a tough. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I like you. Don't get me wrong. I like Universal. I like Peacock. I like them both. But the. Five Nights at Freddy's is a home experience. Give me a break. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> All right, what's next? Speaking of Universal here. From King Edward. A year ago, I would have thought that Fast X would open more than the new Transformers. Updated tracking from Deadline pegs Transformers with a 68 to 70 million opening. Will yeah. Transformers really open bigger than Fast X? I don't think so, but it's possible. Listen, I'll tell you what. A month and a half ago, I thought Fast X... Like, for a long time, I thought Mario Brothers would be the number one box office movie of the year. 
Then I thought, you know what? I think Fast X can outpace it. <laughs> Parable, apparently, I got to walk that back. Not if it's going to open to $60 million. Fast X is not going to break a billion dollars if it can't open to more than $60 million. So, um, but listen, I, you know, it's, it's funny because Fast X and Transformers have had a similar life cycle, really, when you think about it. And they're both kind of in this place where are people kind of over it with this franchise and whatever, which is really too bad because unlike though, where they really differ, the last Fast and the Furious movie was absolute garbage. The last Transformers movie was absolutely brilliant uh, with Bumblebee. Bumblebee, oh, so good. Yeah, so good. But unfortunately, Bumblebee came on the heels of like four garbage movies in a row. Whereas Fast 9 came on the heels of like four really great Fast and the Furious movies in a row. Not that you would know. (laughs) Not counting counting Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we could end up seeing Transformers Rise of the Beast maybe making more. I'm excited to see, by the way, and I'm excited to see both of these movies. I think that trailer with freaking Unicron in it and everything, I am dying to see this movie. Steve Cappell directing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. All right, we got time for like two more. What's next? Okay, from Kendall Barker again. I love Ray and I love Daisy Ridley. Screw it, I'm excited for her movie. I hope they do it justice and bring back the magic we all felt in The Force Awakens. Um, Listen, I don't, for me personally, the issue is not... Daisy Ridley, who I think is a terrific actress, or Ray. I like the Ray. I hated what they did with the Ray character ultimately in in the final chapters of the films, but I like the character in general. The reason I think it's a bad decision is because a lot of Star Wars fans who don't feel the way I do about it. I mean, they represent a very divisive period for Star Wars fandom. Now, granted. Some of the divisiveness is over racist, misogynistic, basement-dwelling cousin humpers, sure. But there's also just a lot of people who just, for creative merits, just straight up didn't like what they did with it. And it's very divisive. I myself hated The Rise of Skywalker. I hated that movie. Um, And so I really think that the best thing for them to do is turn the page. Go in with something fresh. Set up the next Star Wars movies as being 20 years after the events of The Rise of Skywalker. The Jedi Order has been reestablished. Rey is gone. Um, All that kind of thing. Bring in new characters that don't bring over the baggage that comes with the sequels or, for that matter, the prequels. But they didn't. So I look, I will go into it with high hopes and, and hope that they do a really good job. But I'll tell you what, this is Kathleen Kennedy's for at least the next while. This is Kathleen Kennedy's Star Wars, which means I don't even believe this movie's going to get made because everything they announced doesn't get made. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. So, yeah, there's that. All right. Last question of the day. What do we got next? Last one comes from Justin. Is that Wong? <laughs> Last one comes from Justin Welsh. What's up, Singing Posty? Uh, Hey, John, Ray, Chris, and Jonathan. Have you ever ugly cried in the movie theater or at home watching TV? I did. Have I ever? (laughs) I don't usually, but one that always gets me um, most Pixar. It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas. And believe it or not, 
the modern Queer Eye. Oh my gosh, the latest season of Queer Eye. I, I've also been very emotional this week, but I cried in every episode. It's so good. Do you guys watch it? No. And was I, just I, watching an episode where they did an entire college fraternity. Yes. And before you guess, when I say they did an entire college fraternity, what I mean was they gave them makeovers. They gave them a makeover and yeah. it's beautiful. I, I ugly Clark cried during that Fast X trailer. <laughs> <laughs> the physics don't make sense. <laughs> Uh, um, Guardians was probably. I mean, like, yeah, I saw a lot of people. Guardians, the most the I've one. ever cried. Yeah. I've never ugly cried in a movie or TV no, show. Like, I mean, I've, had, I've like, cried a little in some, but yeah, that's I've about had it. tears like stream down, but I've never like straight up ugly cried for, sobbed. For all the feelings you two don't have, no, I, do. I have I just, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's the thing. So I walked through the room while Anne was watching an episode of Queer Eye, the one with the fraternity, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I want to put up. $25,000 because not that I have $25,000 that I can spare, but because I think I could make money on it. If I had some local little production company want to come to me, because I want to make a five minute short, maybe seven minute short called straight eye for the queer guy. I want to make a five minute short called straight eye for like the queer spoof. guy. And I want you to start with like a gay couple who clearly have their entire fucking life together. They live in a nice home. They're well-dressed. They're super educated. It says, okay, but, but have them say something emotionally. You know, I just feel like I'm not able to connect with people. Like, you know, all the people on Queer Eye say when they're going to them. And then have a couple of dumpy schlubs, straight guys going, okay, we're going to make you more relatable and just basically go in and ruin their lives. I think I just would love to make that Go sketch. angrily wash the dishes whenever you want to talk about a feeling. Just go do that, <laughs> all right? Listen, bro. I think I think this is a billion dollar do a, idea. Do Pat hug. Straight eye for the queer guy. I think no, it can make it's tons of money. Bra. It's bra. called bra. Uh, bra. The Look bra show. I'm the bra now. <laughs> I show up to the guy's house in jeans and a dumpy hoodie. It's like, hey, I'm here to fix your life. <laughs> when they've got like clearly their all it's their a, shit together. Okay, sure. <laughs> oh, that'll work. All right, guys, listen. That'll do it for today's installment. By, by the way, big thank you to all of our uh, channel members who sent in those questions. Yay. Apologies to anybody who didn't get their question answered. We got through as many as we could. Uh, but thank you to everybody for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Hey, listen, if you're listening to this on the YouTube channel, by all means, make sure you go and subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. I'm pretty pumped to see the response that we've got. The response of people signing up for the podcast has been huge. We hit number 17 on Apple podcast charts. Oh, sorry. Hey. Number 16 on Apple podcast charts and you number 17 on Spotify. So thank you to everybody who got us there for that. Uh, thank you to all of you guys for listening in today. Don't forget to come back and join us again tomorrow. Make sure you check out the various videos we put up on our YouTube channel today. So for myself, Ray Ora, Jonathan Voico, and Chris Carr, thanks so much for being here, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. 